Welcome, everybody, to another great podcast from the Crystal River Church of God. Whether you're on your way to work, on your lunch break, or even taking a jog, our prayer for you is that this helps you to find focus for living. We truly hope you enjoy this message live from CRCOG. Amen. This morning, I'm going to uh, direct your attention to 2 Timothy 3, chapter 1 through 5. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version for this portion. And uh, just FYI, I skip around multiple different versions. um, But I always do my best to make sure you have the version uh, reference up there so you know what you're looking at. All right? So it says right here, now I will tell you this, I did attempt to put that on you version. The event was, I don't know if it made it, it looked like it was having some trouble. If you version acted up this morning, don't worry, I'll make sure that it's on there here as soon as the 8.30 is over. That way you can reference the notes back and because um, I tend to go very fast. So um, if you want to be able to have the notes, I'll make sure that those are there for you, okay? All right, so it says this. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. And all the parents in the house go, whoa, right? Yeah, you're ready to have church now. That's right. The word says it. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. You guys feel good yet? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then here's where I want you to get. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. These people. Avoid such people, those people, right? And I know that for that 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 word that 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 passage of scripture is very familiar to most, and usually that's the one where like, okay, that's not what I want to hear when I want to feel good about life and things going on. And I promise you, I'm going to do my best today to break down that last portion of that and bring to you something. Today that hopefully will help you and lead you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for the opportunity you have given me to be able to speak to these people. Father, I understand that it is an honor to be right here. And I do not take it for granted. Father, I ask you that you would allow me to speak with your Holy Spirit. I pray that when the Holy Spirit speaks through me, that it will be fresh from heaven. That, Lord, you'll speak directly to the hearts and the minds of the men and women in this place. Father, I ask that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. My title today is, No Thank You, I Have a Promise. No Thank You, I Have a Promise. You see, in our text, we read words of the great Apostle Paul. And he is writing to his young protege, Timothy. Right? And... The words that he's using, believe it or not, are words of encouragement. Believe it or not. He's telling him, don't worry about it. What you're seeing going on is what's going to happen. And in the last days, this is what's going to happen. Now, 
I would say that this obviously is a picture of perilous times. Something unimaginable at times. And then he ends with this one phrase. He says, they will have an appearance of godliness. But deny its power. And I broke that down reading what the Hebrew or the actual, the Greek says right there. That literally he's saying they will look like they have it all together. But still desperately lacking. Jesus talks about this same crisis in the book of Matthew chapter 23 and 27 when he says, On the outside they look perfect, but on the inside they're full of death. You see, in our text, Paul uses this word, power. They will deny its power. That word is dunamis, which means force. Specifically, miraculous power. The ability, abundance, meaning might. Worker of miracles, power, strength, violence, mighty, wonderful work. In other words, he's saying they will lack the supernatural. They will have the form that will tell you that they have it all together. They will have this appearance that makes you say, I wish to emulate them. I envy them. You see, their families will be the model families. They will have what you want, yet still lacking. He uses this phrase, form of godliness, which literally it would be the people you would expect to be the model Christian. He says, actually, he calls it a scheme of the gospel. That's what that word means. Scheme of the gospel. In other words, they do all of the practices. They do all of the right things. They have the right works. They look blessed. But inside they're lacking the power. Inside they're lacking the things they need to get through the crises. The crises that they have no power over. And outside of them is a supernatural power that comes and makes the difference. You see, this very portrayal is familiarized throughout many people I know and even at times myself. It's a very danger in the world that you and I live, of course. This is even prevalent within the church, right? You see, we all stand, every one of us stand at the peril of experiencing church Without experiencing Christ in His power. We can come to church because it's the right thing to do. I spoke with someone weeks ago talking about the difference between a relationship and religion. Let me tell you the difference. A religion doesn't require very much of you. Because it's only outward. It's only external. It means dressing the part. It means talking the part. It means doing all of those things that people expect. Relationship is a requirement to get in His presence. There's a difference. And what is being said is there will be people who will be addicted 
to the program. They will be addicted to all of the right things. They will be addicted to the models. They'll even write books using the models and the principles. But never telling you that what you need to make the difference is the power of Christ and what He has done for you. You see, there is a a, 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 a challenge that when we believe that God has given us a promise, there's areas where we have prayed for God's hand in our life, but when it is taking longer than anticipated, or the details no longer fit my expectations, we then say, God, let me just help you out a little bit. I see you're busy. You're very busy with everybody else, and that's okay. So I'm going to do my due diligence to help you out, God. And I'm sure most of us in here can agree that we've had that position at times. Where we know that God has promised things for us. And He certainly has great plans for us. But we cannot help or resist the urge to stick our hands into it. Where we feel like we have to make it happen. Where we feel like, listen, I know what God said. I'm going to do this and this and then this. We start talking behind people's backs. We start shifting and jockeying and moving. We start, we start positioning ourselves in certain areas. And we say, I'm just helping God out. It's all right. Well, the truth is, God doesn't need your help. You see... You and I are in great company when we feel this way. Because in Genesis chapter 12, we have this man called Abram. He is the son of Terah, a Sumerian trader of idols. And here God is promising Abram that if he leaves his father and his father's idols, he will show him a land that will be his own. And then he says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 through 3, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those or curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see that's a pretty big promise that Abraham was given. He was going to be the father of many. Out of his seed a nation would come forth. And he would bless all of the other nations. Even more his his descendants would inherit a land. Well, there's one big problem with that. He didn't have any descendants. At this particular time, God's telling him, and you have to understand, Abram is in his 80s and still no children. And God is saying to him, don't you worry. I'm going to make for you a nation out of your seed. And your nation will bless all of the other nations. So don't worry, Abram. And I'm sure Abram's thinking at that time, wait a minute. I'm an 80-year-old man. God, don't you think that's a little far-fetched? Maybe even impossible? You see, Abram was promised a land for his children, but had no children. Once more, he was promised a son born of his wife, Sarah, Yeah, he and Sarah were well past their age. Abram had a promise, 
without any signs of the promise being fulfilled. You see, this promise stood over him like a Democlean sword. As if it was standing there from day after day. Telling him that you're blessed. You're going to have children. It's going to be wonderful. And your children, look up at the stars, Abraham. They'll be like the stars in the sky. Look out there at the sand, Abraham. It'll be like the sand that you see. Your children are going to be blessed. They're going to be so more far, so farther than you could ever imagine. Much larger than you could ever account. And, Dave, and, and Abram's saying, it's a little difficult to understand right now, God. You see, he walked around knowing he had heard from God. Knowing he had a promise. But nobody would believe him or understand him. Because the promise he would say at that given moment would be so far-fetched that there's no way anybody would ever buy into it. You see, he felt that he had a future and vision and dreams, but he couldn't tell anybody. Because they would laugh at him. As a matter of fact, his wife did laugh at him. Abram even laughed at God. Because they just could not believe it. Do you know what it's like to have a promise that you can't share with anybody? Do you know what it's like to have a dream that nobody is behind? Do you know what it's like to have a vision for your future that nobody else can see? You see, this was Abram. In addition, Abram had another problem. Abram, my point number one is, Abram suffered from the burden of reputation. You see, the name Abram means high father. An 80-something-year-old man is called high father by all of those who know him, yet as the high father, Abram has no sons and no daughters. He is called high father with no children. He has a reputation that he cannot fulfill. Everyone around him is calling him great, but he doesn't believe it about himself. Everyone around him is saying, Hi, Father. Hi, Father. Hi, Father. And everyone around him is proclaiming his promise. Yet in him, he's saying, I'm an 80-year-old man. You've got to be nuts. In him, he's saying, I don't have the capabilities to produce this promise that you're talking about. I don't have the capabilities for this vision you're talking about. However, everybody around him is saying... Exactly who he is. Because, you see, they've heard him called leader. They've heard him called strong. They've heard it said about him that he was wise. They heard it said about him that he was calm under pressure. However, inside he's raging. Inside he's falling apart. Because he has yet to see the promise. You see, there is... Not much disheartening to the human soul more than having a reputation about yourself that you know you cannot live up to. In Abram, his particular case is that he was like a father to many. Specifically, his nephew Lot. He was like a father. Anybody ever been there so close to your promise, but yet not obtaining it? Everything looks similar, but it's not quite there. Abram is like that. He has his nephew Lot, whom he is like a father to. 
yet he is not a father. You have to understand that often others see our lives and they possibly see areas of greatness and fulfillment where we see inadequacy and missed opportunity. They see a hero and we see a zero. You see this plague, Gabram. So much so that others begin to see how disappointed he was. Even particular his wife, Sarah. So she devises a plan to help him out. She says, I know what we need to do. She says, Abram, take my Egyptian handmaiden, Hagar. Maybe that's what God meant. Maybe he meant it wouldn't literally be from me, but something I possess. So take my handmaiden and, and you know what? Go ahead and conceive a child with her. Abram, weary of waiting for the promise, agrees. He says, well, if you insist. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, cause you any problems. If you insist, you know, I want to take care of my wife's blessing, what she wants. Maybe, God, you're in this. What is it about the human condition that we find it so easy to misinterpret what God said? You see, God said to Abram, you will have a son and he will come from your wife, Sarah, what is it that is about us that when we, we get tired of waiting, we get tired of, of, of sticking into it, that we, we say, yeah, God, maybe you meant this. Maybe you meant this, God. I, I, surely you didn't mean for it to take this long, God. You know, I know you're, you're an eternal being and all, and you've got all the time in the world and universe, as a matter of fact, but maybe you, you thought it would take Shorter than this. So maybe, maybe I know what it is, God. I know what it is. I just, I haven't, I haven't operated in obedience yet. I haven't operated on the word yet, God. That's what it is. I haven't, I haven't moved on the word. I know none of you have ever been that super spiritual where you say, that's what it is. I haven't moved on the word. God's saying, no, dummy. It ain't time yet. I got, I, I got this for you. But there's some things you got to learn first. And so, you need to know this. That when you get weary of waiting for your promise, you better believe Satan will send you a Sarah. There will always be a Sarah. I know that Sarah was only trying to make her husband happy, but make no mistake, if Satan knows there's a possibility that you can be persuaded, he'll send somebody to persuade you. He will send someone. Charlie, we're missing slides, buddy. He will send somebody who wants to make you happy. He will send somebody who wants to help you along. Right? A friend that's sitting out and they're tired of hearing you call them every day and say, Oh, I'm just so weary. I'm just so tired. Finally, they're just like, Go out and get drunk. Why don't you? Right? He'll send somebody to say, I think you just need to follow your heart. You know what the Bible says about the heart? It's deceitfully wicked and no one can know it. Okay? He will send somebody into your life that will try to persuade you to get involved in fulfilling your promise. 
Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Yes, God wants you to be happy. But He is less concerned about your happiness than He is about your destiny. God's plan will eventually bring you happiness and joy. But many times it's overshadowed by pain in the midst of the process. However, through the pain, you will arise victorious if you hold on to the promise. There will always be a Sarah. God isn't interested in some cheap counterfeit of your promise. You need to understand that he is not saying, oh yeah, that will do. No, God is saying, I have a plan, I have a promise, and it will come to pass. Some of you need to say this, that when the enemy sends in your Sarah, you need to say, no thank you, I have a promise. Yes, that looks wonderful, but no thank you, I have a promise. That when the enemy starts coming in and starting to derail you, you're on the path, you're in the right direction, and then all of a sudden you get tired of waiting, you get impatient, and somebody comes along and they say, hey, come on, I got something for you, this will help you. You need to say, no thank you. I've got a promise. Amen? You see, Abram's house now. Of course, we understand. He does what she says. He has this child by the name of Ishmael. And at first, everything seems to be exactly what Abram had planned on. Abram's house appears to be blessed. But listen. You can be blessed. But not in the promise. God's vision, my point number three, is God's vision for you will always be greater than your current capacity. You need to get that. God's vision that He places on your life isn't about your current capabilities. It never comes... See, vision is always going forward. Vision is always moving forward. He's not going to give you a vision for this. The vision is to get you from moving from this. And so his vision will always require more of you than you're capable of providing. In the beginning of Genesis 17, God reveals himself to Abram in a very new way. He says, chapter uh, 17 verse 1, he says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. You see, God tells Abram, I'm the almighty God. Or El Shaddai is the word that's used here. Which more correctly is translated out of the Hebrew, I am the God who is enough. In other words, he's saying, yes. Abram made a long laundry list saying, I'm 80 years old. Well, now at this time, I'm 89 years old. There's no way I can perform what you're asking me to perform. And have you seen Sarah? Not looking too good. It's just not looking too good, God. I'm, I'm just saying. I know you see everything, but, you know, maybe you, you see her in a way I don't. But I'm telling you, it's not looking too good, God. God said, what is this that you don't get? I'm not looking at your capabilities, nor her capabilities. I'm looking at my capabilities. I am the God who is enough. I am enough 
to fulfill my promise. Do you think who is God? Is he a man that he should lie? The answer is no. He does not make promises. He does not intend to fulfill. He says, I alone am enough. I don't even need you, buddy. I'll make it happen. Have you, do you recall Adam in the garden? I took clay from the ground and made him. I'm only doing this for your benefit, buddy. Abraham, Abram is sitting there and he's saying, Wow. Okay. Often... But you need to know this. Often, when God reveals something new about His nature, it is to correct wrong perceptions. See, listen. People say, I wish God would reveal Himself to me. I wish God would reveal Himself to me. I wish He would show me who He is. I wish He would be more clear to me. I wish I would know more about Him. I just need more about Him. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to receive correction when that happens. You need to be ready. Because when God starts revealing himself to you, you start getting yourself revealed to you. Right? It happened with Isaiah. He said, I saw the Lord sitting high upon his throne and his train filled the temple. And then he said, woe is me for my righteousness is but filthy rags. You have to understand that when God reveals something new about himself, he also reveals something new about your perceptions. Shows you where you've been wrong. God says to him, I alone can provide for the promise. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards those, towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God says to Abram, I am not only going to fulfill my word, but I'm now going to change your reputation too. He said, I know you've been walking around with this reputation of high father. I know you've been walking around with this situation of that, that you can't fulfill. And now you have come to this illusion that you have fulfilled that role of high father. But I'm going to let you know that I'm not satisfied. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reveal something to you. And God changes Abram's name to Abraham. From high father to father of many nations. So when you doubt the promise, God doubles down on the promise. When you say, eh, maybe you didn't mean it like that. God says, oh, I'm going to show you what I meant. I'm going to show you exactly what I meant. And he doubles down. He says, not only will you be the high father, Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. You see, point number four is your blessing is not always your promise. You see, Abraham now has this 13-year-old son that he's grown quite, quite fond of. And though Ishmael was not the promise, he sure looks good enough. And so Abraham saying, you know, hey, I'm starting to feel good about myself. I'm starting to believe what others have said about me. So he's talking with God and he strikes a deal. He says this in verse 18. He says, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Let me break that down. He's saying, look, I know you're talking about this, this kid that, that hasn't transpired. I know you're talking about this son that I'm going to have with Sarah. But, but, but wait a minute. We already have one right here, God. It's easy. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. We got one. We got him right here. He's 13 years old. We can start right there. How about that? He says, 
Oh, that Ishmael could live before you. Oh, that you would bless Ishmael as the promise. Oh, that you would bless what I have done as the promise. I know that's what you said you wanted for me, but, but this has become quite good. This has become quite comfortable. I'm making plenty of money. I'm, 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 I'm starting to feel good about myself. Everything's going. I know that I know, God, you said that is my spouse. I know. But you know this one. Look at this one. God, let me just help you out. That one's been crazy all my life. And, you know, this one seems to fulfill me. God says, you don't get it, do you? You know what God says to him when he says this? Verse 19. I love this. Then God said, no. No. I mean, listen. You in a bad spot when God tells you no. When he says no. He, and, and there's so much that could be unpacked in that very spot right there. But he says, I didn't stutter. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. Do you want me to give you an anatomy lesson? Abraham, it's going to be Sarah that bears your son. It's going to be the promise I gave you from the beginning. Not some cheap counterfeit. Not what you have accepted and adopted. No, 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 no. It's the beginning. Go back to your first love, Abraham. Go back to where we started, Abraham. Go back to when I took this Sumerian boy in the wilderness and I made you a father of a nation. Go back to that man. It's that promise. It will be Sarah. Not Hagar. Sarah. Not Hagar. Isaac. Not Ishmael. He, God literally ignored him. And he said, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. And with his descendants after him. He said, he said I'm not even going to regard the stupidity that came out of your mouth. I'm not even going to participate in what just came out of your mouth. I'm not even going to give it any time because it doesn't warrant it. I'm going to tell you exactly what I said. Sarah, spell it for me, boy. Sarah is going to be the mother of this child. Some of you need to listen up to what God's saying right now in your life. You see, this looked wonderful. This looked like it was enough. This looked like it would do, and God said, no. That's what you did when you got your hands into the mix. I've still got the same promise for you. It hasn't changed. It hasn't moved. Its name's still the same. You're just not waiting. God says very clearly, no. It'll be Sarah. You see, Abraham tried to accomplish in the natural what God had planned to do in the supernatural. Abraham, your experience with me began with a supernatural. When I brought you out of that land, it was not your own. And I brought you into a land and blessed you. But somewhere along the line, you began to believe it was a result of your hard work and your intelligence. But make no mistake, you are blessed because of my supernatural hand over you. So quit trying to do in the natural what only I can do in the supernatural. I alone am enough. And then he says, 
I am more than enough. And in the absence of your faith, you have substituted your promise. God tells Abraham that a shortfall of faith does not limit God's ability to perform. But he had to send Ishmael away. You see, Abraham, God tells him, he says, look. He says, we're going to deal with Ishmael. Ishmael is your problem, not your promise. Somebody needs to hear that. This cheap counterfeit is your problem, not your promise. You see, it's what happens when you get in the mix. It's your problem, not your promise. You're looking at it saying, it looks so wonderful. It's so easy. It's here. It's now. I can take it and move with it. And God is saying, no, 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 no. That's your problem. Not your promise. He said, if you're going to operate in the supernatural, you are now going to have to send away the natural. You're going to have to send Ishmael packing. If you want Isaac, if you want the promise to come to your house, you have to send away what you tried to counterfeit it with. You've got to get rid of those ideas. You've got to get rid of those things. You've got to get rid of those falsehoods. You've got to get rid of all those ideas and plans you had and say, I surrendered that to your will, God. Because now I know that the promise still stands. It has not changed. It has not budged. It is still what you said it would be. Some of you in here, you have doubted the promise in a lot, a lot lately because this year has been difficult. This year has told you it was impossible that yes that was going to happen but because of 2020 it's no longer going to happen so you just got to accept the new normal I'm here to tell you that in the kingdom of God there is no such thing as new normal there's only the eternal that in the kingdom of God what you try to do in the natural will never add up to what he can do in the supernatural You see, God says Ishmael was a creative idea. Very creative. You you know, that's our nature. When we don't see things happening in the manner that we think they should happen, what do we do? We try to use our intellect. We try to use our talents. We try to use all of our, our steps that we have. And God is saying, no, you're missing it. I, I don't need that. I, I, I wanted you for you. Not for all of that garbage. I gave you all that. I, that's nothing. That's fluff. What I want is you to be of faith. See, Ishmael was creative, but Ishmael wasn't of faith. My question to you today is, what kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith? If you're going to see the promise, it's going to take faith. Because with the absence of faith, we employ our human ingenuity. Which always results in extra baggage. In the Bible there are several types of faith. I'm going to give you seven and then I'm going to give you another. The first one is in Mark chapter 4 and 40. It's no faith. Mark chapter 6 is little faith. Romans 12 and 3 is a measure of faith. 1 Corinthians 12 and 9 is the gift of faith. Romans 4 and 20 is strong faith. Matthew 8 and 10 is great faith. Acts 6 and 8 is full of faith. But then Paul in his writings describes, if you would, an eighth kind of faith. It's a faith that goes well beyond hoping and desire. It's a faith of expectation. 
It's anticipating and assuming. It's knowing that God will do what He said He will do. When you have a faith of expectation, you're position, you position yourself for the promise. You say, I'm not even going to entertain ideas of counterfeits and false hopes. When I have an expectation, I know God will perform. It's an expectation of faith. Psalm 62 and 5 says, My soul waits silently for God alone. My expectation is from Him. You see, my expectation is in God Almighty and His ability to perform. Not in my talents or capabilities. I know that God can fulfill His promise. In Galatians, Paul says, We anticipate and wait. And in Thessalonians, he says, With absolute Certainty. That's the kind of faith we need. It says, I am fully persuaded. I know that God will do what He said He will do. If He said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Point number six, and if the musicians will come. You see, the faith of expectation taught Abraham. How to wait. It's easy to sit still when you're expecting for something to hit you. It's easy. When you're expecting it to come your way. You can stay still. See, when you think you got to go chase it down. That's when you start wandering. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 through 10 says... By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited. For a city. Which has foundations. Whose builder and maker is God. You see. This is. A short allegory of. The life of Abraham right in a moment. Is he leaves where he's at. And moves around. What happens is Abraham is a Chaldean. So those of you that don't know what a Chaldean is. They were a sect of Sumerians. Sumerian not Sumerian. Who lived in the town called Ur. They were a Semitic group of people. And specifically Abraham was from a group called the Habaru. This was a Sumerian word used for wanderer. Vagabond. Incidentally this word morphs into the the word we know now as Hebrew. It was Abraham's nature to get up and leave When things no longer seemed promising where he rested. That whenever things got difficult, they just pack up their stuff. Say, it's okay. Go try it over here. And pick up and move. It was in his blood. The Bible says that something happens. That he begins to dwell in a land of promise. 
You know what the Bible says? It says he, or that word, if you break it down, it means residing in a land as a foreigner. That means in a place where he didn't feel welcome, but he knew God told him to stay there. It means when he felt like nobody wanted him, he said, God, you haven't given me word to move. I'm going to stay right here. He said, for he waited. Somebody needs to hear me on this. Even when he didn't feel like he could stay. When he felt the urge to move. When he felt the urge to make it happen on his own. He waited. It could have been easy to move on. But he waited. When his family let him down. Lot, we know. Lot takes the greener pastures. Abraham sits there and he waits. You see, when the promise of fathering many nations didn't come so easy, he waited. Why did he wait? Verse 9 says, By faith, he dwelt in the land of the promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. You know why he waited? Because the promise was bigger than him. The promise was bigger than just Abraham. You see, the promise was for Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. The promise was so much bigger than just him. So he waited. When, when, his, when, his, when his desire was to get up and move, God said, no, I've got you there. Because this is bigger than you. And if you'll just sit still, I'm going to do something through you that's bigger than you. If you'll just learn to trust me, I'm going to do something in you that's bigger than you. Everybody stand in this place. Spirit life, come up here. Isaiah 8 and 18 says this. It says, here I am. Here am I. Then he says, and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. In other words, the miracle lies in me and what I produce from here on. I'm here to tell you today that whoever you are, you're worried, you're you're growing weary, but God is saying just wait on me because the promise is coming. And when it comes to you, the book of Acts says, and it will come to your children and your children's children and those that are called from afar off you need to know today crystal river that if you wait the promise will be bigger than you every head bowed and every eye closed in this place if you don't know jesus as your savior today i want to give you that opportunity if you want to start your path on the promise i want to give you that opportunity with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, if you don't know Jesus, would you please raise your hand right now? I will not embarrass you. I promise you that. I give you that right now. I see one hand right there. Anybody else? Any, I see that hand right there. Anyone else? Anyone else? It's all right. Anyone else? All right. I'm going to pray for you too right now. Heavenly Father, pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today anticipating your arrival. I surrender to you.
I surrender my plans. I surrender my will. And I ask you today, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you forgive me of my wrongs? I believe today that Jesus died on that cross for me. And today I accept Him into my life. Come change my life. Come change my home. Come change my expectations. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this message. We pray that it has inspired you like never before. For more information about Crystal River Church of God, how to give, or even our upcoming events, be sure to check us out at crystalrivercog.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. And we will see you next week here at CRCOG.